Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I believe that the buildup to the Georgia TCU game, even though it's a much shorter buildup than the Peach Bowl was, the buildup to the Georgia TCU game is actually, for me, a little bit more comfortable than the buildup to Georgia Ohio State was. People are just sort of wired a certain way. I am definitely wired in such a way that I am just a natural contrarian. When everybody thinks one thing, I have a tendency to be obsessed with the other side of that. And the contrarian point of view, the opposite point of view of the prevailing wisdom is not always correct, but I think it's always a pretty good place to start, I believe. That's just the way that some of us are wired. I'm kind of wired that way. And I definitely thought going into the Georgia-Ohio State game, the Peach Bowl that we saw on Saturday night, and a lot of you heard me say this, I definitely thought there was a little bit too much love for Georgia and a little bit too much of an undervaluing of Ohio State simply on the basis that Ohio State had lost its most recent game to Michigan. And over the course of the season, you just sort of see that happen. The teams that are winning keep being built up, built up, built up, built up, and maybe eventually to a point in which it doesn't reflect uh, you know, reality. And when a team loses, they are just absolutely trashed, absolutely you know, kind of kicked to the curb. And Ohio State was probably done that after the Michigan game, once again, in a way that kind of doesn't really reflect reality. Well, all of a sudden, Georgia won that game, of course, but maybe did not do it in the sort of sterling fashion with the way that Georgia's been winning games all year long. Even though it was a thrilling win, it probably wasn't a pristine win from the standpoint that Georgia gave up 41 points and needed every bit of its 42 points offensively just to win that game. So even though Georgia's going to hear a little bit more criticism this week than it's maybe kind of heard going into the Peach Bowl, there is a part of me as a Georgia fan and as someone who sort of talked about this for a living that's kind of comfortable with that, kind of comfortable with the idea here with Georgia looking for one more opportunity to dig deep and find something about itself in this final game of the season. They, they do so, especially on defense, with the notion of, hey, we don't want to go out playing like we have these last couple of games, half sort of second-half performance defensively against LSU. Tiger scored 30 points there, 41 points given up against Ohio State, and for a while it looked like Ohio State might even get more than that. You know, we don't want to go out that way. We want to come out and show the world that we're better than what we've put on display. And after what we've seen from Georgia these last couple of seasons or what we've seen from Georgia throughout the entirety of the Kirby Smart era, does anybody doubt Georgia's ability to do that? Does anybody doubt that Georgia will have a much better showing defensively against TCU than it had against Ohio State, that it's just time for Georgia to get back to looking like Georgia again defensively. I certainly wouldn't doubt that, and I think that anybody who does is potentially making a very big mistake. And thus far, we haven't heard a lot from UGA since it left Atlanta the other night, but we have heard some, and I think the chatter is kind of what you would hope it would be, maybe even what you would expect it to be, about an extra level of focus, not just to win the national championship, and ultimately that's all that really matters, but to do so in a way that shows just how well Georgia can actually play. In fact, Javon Bullard, who I thought was such an important player for Georgia on Saturday night, and a guy who's been unbelievably important to Georgia all season long, he really articulated that message very well on that conference call thing that we talked about uh, yesterday that happened a little earlier this week. Bullard on the notion that you better believe, not only does Georgia believe it can play better, it actually expects to play better, we tune in from Los Angeles on Monday night. This is Bullard on that topic from earlier this week. I think the whole team can attest that we didn't play our best game. Um, but at the end of the day, it's only one you know, result that matters to, 
game, but it's uh, a whole lot we can fix as far as uh, I, I can speak on the defensive side of the ball, communication and things like that. Um, just the basic things like that, um, knowing your leverage, uh, talking. I know we got to talk about um, throughout the secondary and things like that. So, um, like I said, throughout this week, we're just going to work on the smaller things and, and try to detail our work to the best of our ability. So I like that from Bullard. He starts off by saying, yeah, you better believe. We think we can play better. We want to. Then he gets into some of the nuts and bolts of how that happens, maybe better communication with the secondary. Obviously, we've seen that group kind of picked on here a little bit, certainly against a terrific collection of Ohio State wide receivers. That was an issue, and we would say that the TCU wide receivers, uh, certainly in the case of Johnson, they're very, very good as well. And so, therefore, once again, this group's going to kind of be on the spotlight. But beyond that, the other day um, I saw an interview with Greg McElroy. McElroy's the ESPN analyst, obviously played at Alabama, but now he's essentially an you know ESPN analyst. We, we talk about McElroy from time to time because he's Sometimes he has some interesting things to say. And right there, actually, while he was still in Atlanta, this was from on the field there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, uh, McElroy kind of already pivoting for Georgia against TCU in the national championship. And on a day in which we say, hey, we, we think the Georgia defense will play better, uh, they need to play better, McElroy, when he was on ESPN the other day, actually cited sort of a specific thing about TCU that might make that a, a little bit of a challenge. Something you need to understand about this quarterback, Max Duggan, for the Horn Frogs, that's maybe a little bit different than the quarterback, C.J. Stroud, that you just did battle with from Ohio State. I think this is actually pretty interesting from Greg McElroy about what better might mean for Georgia against TCU. This is from ESPN. This is Greg McElroy. Well, I think that there's a lot of things that Georgia needs to clean up. For instance, the way they rushed the passer tonight, they oftentimes rushed with really kind of out of control, frankly, which allowed C.J. Stroud plenty of time to make a guy miss and then extend plays. Well, C.J. Stroud's a decent runner. He's not an elite runner. Max Duggan, when he's at his best, can really make you miss and create with his own legs. So I think Georgia's going to have to be a lot more conservative with how they rush the passer. So listen, I'm not an X's nose expert. McElroy played the sport, so he probably knows more about this than I do. But I don't agree with his assessment right there. I mean, I do probably agree with his assessment that I do believe that Duggan's a better runner, certainly proven over the course of the season than C.J. Stroud is. Stroud was amazing the other nine. Duggan's been better over the course of the year. I mean, I think there are a lot of games where he'll have like 15 carries. I mean, he's essentially a big part of their rushing attack uh, just with his own legs there. So I do think that he's right in his evaluation of Duggan as a player. But I don't believe he is correct, at least I hope he's not, in terms of his diagnosis of the UGA defense. You know, I, I don't think you can simply say, well, because he can run, we're therefore going to be more conservative with our pass rush. I don't think that works for Georgia. I really don't. And in a night against Ohio State, in which Georgia wasn't great defensively, it still found a way to get four sacks. And if any one of those four sacks don't occur, how much different is the complexion of that game, at least potentially speaking? And so I understand that, that, that McElroy's larger point's probably correct, that you have to be a little more careful with a guy like Duggan, a quarterback. But I don't think careful equals conservative here in this spot because I just don't think that's the best version of Georgia. I think when you ask those Georgia wide receivers to, to, to cover, or should say those Georgia defensive backs, to cover for a long time, they got you in trouble against Ohio State. And you certainly don't want to leave those guys out there on an island too much against TCU. Now, I would also say the, the, the flip side here for a moment, that if you're going to say that Duggan is a better runner than Stroud over the course of the year, then you might also say that Duggan as a passer is a little bit less accomplished than, than, than Stroud is. Stroud's what, I think nine and a half yards per attempt on the season. Uh, that's you know right there alongside Hendon Hooker for a best in the country. Uh, Duggan's not too far behind that, but he is right down there. He's actually tied with uh, Stetson Bennett at 8.9 yards per attempt. 
So this is a guy that's just slightly below the passing prowess of C.J. Stroud, but possibly better from a uh, from a running standpoint than what Stroud's brought to the table. And it also kind of thinks, sort of speaks to a little bit about what's different about the TCU offense overall, that some of the success that's, that Duggan has had through the air this year has come not from the big pretty deep throws like, you know, what's maybe some somewhat C.J. Stroud did or what certainly what Bryce Young did a year ago. Some of this is just making – an opportunity for uh, you know TCU guys with the ball in their hand to make a man miss to get those yards after uh, after after the catch. That was a big part of what Johnston did against Michigan, and it's a big part of what this TCU offense has been doing all year long. In fact, Kirby Smart talked more about that when he was a part of that conference call a little earlier this week. This is Smart's assessment of all of the kind of short throws behind the line of scrimmage stuff, uh, open field type stuff that TCU is trying to create offensively. This is what Smart said about that. So that's a pretty interesting assessment there from Kirby Smart there on that, which, I mean, listen, I would think you would say, well, if that's the challenge here for Georgia, hey, charging after the football and making sure you're, you're sound when it comes to making, making tackling, I mean, isn't that kind of what Georgia does? Isn't that kind of what Georgia has been doing all season long? And if it's more of that kind of stuff against TCU – then I think the hope here would be, well, that actually kind of plays into the hands of the dogs, maybe a little bit more than some of the pre-snap stuff to kind of get a defensive secondary confused that maybe Ohio State was all about when you go back to Saturday night. But then possibly the biggest issue of all, and this is not just an issue that plagues Georgia, this is potentially an issue that plagues both teams, is we're not talking about a 15th game. And I think it's interesting that both of these teams come into this game having emerged from shootouts in the national semifinals. We typically haven't seen this kind of situation where both teams played one of these combined 100-point wild affairs, and yet both TCU and Georgia did that. We don't really care about the TCU side of this, but as far as the Georgia side of this goes, having been in a high-scoring game, having played a lot of snaps, is there concern right now that Georgia might just be a little bit fatigued trying to get back and do all of this again on a Monday night, just, what, nine days after the, the previous game? Smart this week also talked about Maybe how tired his defense is right now and how the current way in which college football is played contributes to that possible fatigue. Once again, here is Kirby Smart. I don't know how to pinpoint it. I don't know, uh, you know, tr- traditionally the, the, the teams that are in these games are, you know, they're pretty good offensively. But uh, you'd like to say they're also pretty good defensively. But I think the studies and numbers indicate that uh, as the season goes on, and especially these semifinal and uh, final games, scoring has to be uh, going up. What that is, I can't, uh, I can't really pinpoint it. I, I don't know that I would say it was just being tired because you, you could say that's relative to offense as well, that you can get mm-hmm. tired on defense, you can get tired on defense. Um, but I, I certainly think it's hard to play quality defense anymore because I know we try really hard here and, um, I know they do at TCU as well. Joe Gillespie does an unbelievable job, their defense coordinator. And it just seems that, that, that tackling becomes worse as the season goes on um and uh, there's more scoring but i, I don't know what, why that is I, i've been a part of some unique national championships with uh, the lsu alabama ones in the rematch that was lower scoring but outside of that i've been a part of uh, a lot of shootouts a uh, quick aside here kirby mentions the name joe gillespie that's the tcu defensive coordinator this really is true 
Gillespie is viewed as kind of a rising star in the coaching ranks. This is his first year with the Horn Frogs, his first year coaching staff. Uh, I believe he came over, and some of y'all may know this better than me. I think he came over from Tulsa, is that right? He was defensive coordinator at Tulsa before coming over to TCU. And you've heard a lot of good things about that unit here this year. Statistically, it doesn't necessarily show up uh, maybe the way you expect a great defense to. But there have been a couple of key moments in which defense really helped TCU this season. Texas game, as a for instance, they, they probably played very good defense against a pretty good horn, a Longhorn offense. Gillespie really is kind of a name to know. So just kind of an aside there is that in future years, you're going to hear a lot more about Gillespie probably if he continues on the same trajectory. And that's a guy that, that's going to be drawing some stuff up against Georgia there for Monday night. But beyond that, the idea of these high-scoring games that we sometimes see in the college football playoff, I don't mind telling you this. I do believe that Georgia plays much better defensively on Monday. And as someone who just desperately wants Georgia to win the game somehow, some way, I think the best way for the Georgia defense to aid this offense, or should say they aid the team's chances of winning, you know, just in total, I think the best way for the defense to make a great contribution in this game on Monday, or maybe better said, the best way to measure the contribution the defense does make is – I certainly hope this game from a combined standpoint is nowhere near as high scoring as the Saturday night game was. For those of you that care about the gambling part of this, there's the over-under where you add the two point totals to the two teams and you can bet. Do you think it exceeds that total or goes underneath that total? Historically, the last couple of years, Georgia's obviously been a pretty easy underpick and the numbers, the totals have been going down for Georgia to try to match the way in which Georgia, especially when it wins against Power 5 competition, has just been kind of a rubber stamp under. A lot of times that's been the case. But the Georgia-Ohio State total was much higher projected than that and then it sailed way past that. The projected total was somewhere around, what, 62, 63? I forget the exact number. But it was somewhere in that kind of low 60s number. And ultimately, the game exceeded that by a wide margin. Well, once again, this Georgia TCU over-under is once again somewhere around that kind of low 60s. And I don't mind telling you, I don't think this game needs to be in the 60s for Georgia to have the best chance of winning or maybe the best chance of winning comfortably. I once again go back to what I've always said. I like Georgia in the 30s. I like their opponents somewhere in the 20s. Or maybe in the case of TCU, maybe it's somewhere in the teens. I don't want to. Th- I don't think you want to give TCU a chance to, to find 21, 24 points, especially someone early because all of a sudden then a team that scored against a lot of opponents might find their legs a little bit offensively. That the best overall indication of the impact the Georgia defense is making, in other words, might be just how many totals points are scored in this game. I think for the most part, for the Georgia standpoint, there was way too much of that against Ohio State, and it created this sort of chaotic, wild affair that was difficult for anybody to win. But Georgia against the Horn Frogs, maybe they assert themselves a little bit more. Maybe it's one of those things where they're able to take the TCU offense, take its legs out from under it early, and then take the air out of the football and just kind of coast one of these, what do y'all call it, the murder ball type stuff, where you just finally march to a suffocating victory. I think after what we endured on Saturday, that might be a preferable conclusion to this one on Monday night. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are go for two. As we head towards Monday in Los Angeles, the National Championship, and happy to have you with us as you are part of all of that with us. Whether you join us on video, we start live at 9.45 in the morning on DogNation.com, the Dog Nation app. We are 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, or the radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 The Ref each and every day. Having a great time making this show possible for you. Really looking forward to the go for 2-22 and 22 conclusion here on Monday in Los Angeles. 
With that in mind, I'll give you one piece of housekeeping stuff. So this is a Thursday. We're going to record tomorrow's show this afternoon. I am flying during our normal broadcast window tomorrow. So we'll have to do things a little bit different to get ready for that. But to make it up to you, we're going to be live like a million times Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're essentially going to treat these as more than just a regular day. We're going to treat these like we're going to try to give you action from Friday as the team gets there throughout the day on Saturday. Extra access here, some of the media day stuff like we have for the Peach Bowl. We'll have that again for L.A. We have a really fun thing, I think, in store on Sunday. Uh, obviously, Dog Nation Daily from L.A. on Monday. So we have so much to do to get you ready for all of this, and we'll kind of cover all of that with you uh, throughout the weekend. But as a way of setting that up, i got to fly to L.A., which means I'm in the air during our normal broadcast window tomorrow. So I just want to give you a quick heads up on that. Also, a big thanks to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for making this possible. Your source for Georgia divorce. You can find them online at uh, theatlantadivorceteam.com. And listen, I, I know Bob and Ashley Tharp. They've traveled around. They've seen these dogs so much. They're good friends of ours. Bob's the partner there at Meriwether and Tharp. Ashley's his wife. Uh, they got some great kids, and they love going to these Georgia games, and they're probably like so many of y'all are, just trying to figure out a way to get down to Los Angeles or do something like that. Well, listen, uh, that's the kind of fun stuff they like to do. But during the week when it's not a Georgia football game, Bob and his team over at Meriwether and Tharp, they're also working very hard for you in what might be a very challenging situation of your life because listen we believe that life kind of runs on parallel tracks and on the one hand you get the fun stuff of Georgia playing for a national championship and yet at the same time you may be dealing with something else in your life that's nowhere near as fun as all of that right in the midst of this great era for Georgia football you may be seeing a marriage that's coming to an end and I'm not happy about that for you and I know you're not happy about that for yourself and if I could do something and I truly mean this if I could take that from you I would absolutely all of us would we'd wave the magic wand we'd make these things disappear but unfortunately reality sometimes just causes us to confront it it requires us to to deal with it and if you are in a situation where your reality is i am in a marriage that's not going to last well our friends at meriwether and tharp want to provide you counsel on that and it starts with a free initial consultation they'll walk you through all the proceedings they'll talk about what divorce specifically tangibly means for you and the unique set of circumstances that we all bring into a story like this. Meriwether and Tharp will talk about the law and how it can be leveraged for your benefit. And they'll tell you things that you didn't know. Every time I talk to Bob Tharp, who you just saw on the screen there a moment ago, every time I talk to him, he tells me stuff about this that I never would have considered if I'm not immersed in this topic each and every day. But they are at Meriwether and Tharp. So find them online, theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. It's Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. All right, we're going to get Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment. Uh, Terrence will have a lot to say about what Georgia does against TCU. We will get that from him uh, coming up then. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse. And it's presented today by our friends at ServePro. And I want to kind of do this for a moment. So a minute ago, we played a little bit of audio from Greg McElroy on the notion of how do you stop Max Duggan and what does Georgia need to be aware of defensively. But in that same clip, McElroy also talked a little bit about, hey, maybe at this point in time, the TCU defense is actually a little bit better than you give them credit for. And be careful with that. And then he used the U word. And listen, this is the kind of thing that every Georgia fan wants to avoid in a huge way as you head towards Monday. The notion of an upset, the notion that TCU could shock the world. Well, if you listen to Greg McElroy, he at least offers this as a possibility. This is more from him on ESPN talking about why that might be. Here is Greg McElroy. I think TCU defensively, I look, I know they gave up a million points, and I know that they got worn out as the game went along, but I think most people were pretty impressed, self-included, with how they held up in the first 30 minutes of that ball game against a very physical 
Michigan football team. So I think TCU is actually a formidable opponent. Georgia's considerably better. But either way, if TCU plays their A game and Georgia repeats the performance that we saw tonight, TCU could definitely pull off one of the biggest upsets we've ever seen in college football. So that's very interesting with McElroy saying, hey, if Georgia plays like it did against Ohio State and TCU plays at its best, we could be in line for an upset. I don't quite think I agree with that. I mean, listen, I'm all about I'm all about, you know, talking about what Georgia didn't do against Ohio State, because I said before, it actually kind of makes me comfortable. I like it when people say bad things about Georgia in a weird way. It just makes me feel like that Georgia's in the right frame of mind for what it needs to be for a game. I, I sort of kind of like it when I feel like the uh, public is uh, is buying high on Georgia's opponent. At least sometimes I kind of like that. Uh, but in this particular case, I think we're overstating what Georgia did against Ohio State from the negative standpoint. As I told you yesterday, I think the misnomer here is, and I'm not going to try to get on too much of a soapbox, but I think the misnomer here is, is that if Georgia didn't have control of the game, then Ohio State must have. But I'm not actually quite so sure that was true. This is sort of the problem with a game that's played in the 40s. 42-41 sort of doesn't really feel like anybody's in control. It sort of feels like one of these wild bar fights where everybody's sort of flailing around and trying to do whatever they can do to make contact, and who knows how that's going to end. You get caught up in the wrong place, and all of a sudden it's a total mess. And to me, one of those 42-41 football games just sort of feels like that. Even 50-30 in the SEC championship just sort of feels like that too. So I think that McRoy may be overstated. I mean – Georgia beat Ohio State, for goodness sakes. Ohio State was the preseason number two team. All of a sudden now, Georgia has to apologize for beating uh, the Buckeyes. And I'm not trying to you know, beat up on McElroy. I don't think he's – I think he's just trying to sell the game. I don't think he's trying to say anything bad about Georgia necessarily. But I do think we're exaggerating how poorly uh, supposedly Georgia played against Ohio State. But nonetheless, uh, McElroy's point is probably still well taken, which is if you allow TCU to think they can win – then they might. I mean, if you allow them to hang around, then they might. And while by, uh, you know, measured from a national championship game standpoint, a couple of touchdowns is a pretty big spread, y'all, there are two touchdown underdogs that went outright throughout, I mean, all the time in, in the regular season. I mean, this is not like some crazy uh, occurrence in, in college football at large. It's a little bit of a unique point spread for a national championship, but it's not like this wild outlandish spread uh, compared, you know, to a lot of games that typically you know, do take place. We see two touchdown favorites lose, uh, you know, with regularity. But, but the overall point, though, here is, is that Georgia does need to be at its best to prevent that from happening. And for what it's worth, just like we heard Javon Bullard earlier say, well, we're ready to be at our best. We didn't like the way we played against uh, Ohio State. Uh, Stetson Bennett on the offensive side kind of said some of the same kind of stuff, too. This is Bennett on that topic once again from earlier this week. Yeah, I think there were, uh, you know, stretches where uh, we didn't play well, um, but then there are also stretches where we played really, really well. Um, and, you know, no matter you – know, that all happens within the game, you know, and so it's, it's not like um, – you know, we get less credit because it happened in a certain situation or what, but we just got to clean up those areas um, where we didn't play as clean for a little bit and uh, not have to play basically perfect like we did in the fourth quarter. Do you feel like you guys could play a lot better than you did on Saturday? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's pretty apparent that we can. I mean, we went we went we opened up the second half with two three and outs. Um, you know, now part of that is that Ohio State is an unbelievable team and they played really well um, but yeah I, I definitely feel like we could we can th- clean things up and, and play better than, than we did so a couple things from me here and then we'll kind of move on and bring on Terrence Edwards I think one of the real dangers 
if you're TCU and you look at Georgia, and this goes without saying, we all understand this, but when you really see this from the Fort Worth side of things for a moment, it's like the total array of playmakers just must be obscene to the eyes of a Horn Frog. We said this yesterday. You want to talk about the talent advantage that Georgia has? The idea that Lad McConkey's banged up, wasn't able to give you a full go, and so you turn to Arian Smith, and Arian Smith brought like world-class track speed on a home run touchdown that completely changed this game. Like if you're TCU, what do you do with that? Or this idea that there's a stable of running backs, and a guy like Kenny McIntosh at times in terms of the national conversation almost gets lost in the conversation. But if you add his rushing yards, receiving yards together, you're talking about a guy, I know Mike Griffith wrote a story about this, kind of about McIntosh this week. But if you add, you know, the totality of the of the yardage for, uh, for McIntosh together, you're talking about a guy that's, what, 12, 13, 100 total yards, you know, something along those lines in terms of his yards for scrimmage type stuff. He was the leading receiver for Georgia against Oregon. He's been uh, a massive performer in the rushing game as, as, as well. Like, if you're TCU, what do you do with that? It's the full array of offensive weapons that I think becomes really, really difficult to stop. But, but beyond that, though, if Bennett says, hey, we got to play better, what does better mean? I'm going to say the same thing about this kind of that I said about the defensive side here a moment ago, is that I think that Georgia has got to assert itself in such a way that makes the four quarters not matter. That there is just something about Georgia when it comes out really really flexing when it comes out really really leaning on people and we sort of see that quiet quit thing happen where the opponent's like well it ain't gonna happen today uh this team's providing more than we want uh this team's got more than we can deal with and so therefore we kind of turn the second half into a laugher with the way that Georgia plays in in some of these kinds of situations and I, I think that's kind of what this is supposed to be there as well as I said before I don't think you can have 62 total points here and feel like you're getting the kind of game that plays the most into Georgia's hands and people who are smarter than me and there's a long list of folks who are like the one thing they're telling me right now is is that means the two tight end stuff for Georgia is going to be really important if Darnell Washington's healthy enough then boom that's probably all you need to worry about but if Washington's not either healthy enough to play or healthy enough to be at his absolute best then that does put a lot more on a guy like Oscar Dell and we heard Javon Bullard say this week, I'm not going to play this audio for you, but we heard Bullard say this week that he felt fine about Delp, Delp being in there if Washington can't go. But one way, establishing that bigger line of scrimmage, the kind of wider line of scrimmage, and kind of challenging TCU. Do you really want to play a 3-3 stack when Georgia's got seven guys in the line of scrimmage like this? Do you really feel like that's going to work for you? You know, kind of putting TCU's defense in conflict, not letting them do things they want to do. You know, people who are smarter than me are telling me that whether Washington plays or not, that second tight end for Georgia, the ability to stay and have success in that two tight end set is going to be really, really important here. So we've heard both guys, Bullard on the defensive side, Bennett on the offensive side of the ball. They both think that Georgia can play better. Well, guess what? If you can find a way to do it for just one more game, you are a national champion for the second straight year. Go for two and 22. It really is almost here. And that is around the doghouse. And it's presented today by our friends at ServePro. And listen, Georgia hopes to make a mess of TCU on Monday night in Los Angeles. But if you've got your own mess to deal with, and a lot of you do, let's just be honest here for a moment. Uh, what we had around Christmas was nasty with pipes breaking all over the place and uh, water. I mean, we've had 
we had big storms this week. And listen, I, you know, I hate that for the people who dealt with it. But once again, we saw flooded basements from that. We've seen flooded basements because of the water pipes bursting. Uh, we've, we've had all this issue as of late. And if you've got a, your own cleanup situation like that around your house, our friends at ServPro are the names to know for all of that. And maybe it's something even worse for you. Maybe it's fire damage. Maybe you have a, uh, a commercial building, a, a place that houses your business, which is obviously your livelihood. It's the way you feed your family. Maybe you've had a big mess there because of a fire or something like that. Once again, our friends at ServPro are able to help you if you've got some sort of cleanup issue. Their restoration specialists want to put it all back together for you like it never even happened. That is what ServPro is famous for, and that is what they want to do for you there as well. And as I like to tell you, each and every ServPro franchise is also independently owned and operated. Let me tell you what that means. That means that the folks that run that particular ServPro franchise have just as much a stake in the outcome as you do. After all, when it comes to your home or your business being cleaned up after fire, water damage, something like that, you are obsessed with a positive outcome in that situation. The folks at ServPro are obsessed with that there as well because that's how they continue to thrive as a business by taking care of customers just like you. So find them online, ServPro.com. That's S-E-R-V, ServPro.com for a lot more on that. Great to have them presenting around the doghouse to us here today. All right, before we're done, I thought Stetson Bennett also, as he frequently does, said something else pretty poignant this week. And I want to use that later on as a springboard to kind of explain to you how we're going to talk about this team and this game here for the rest of the week. Bennett's words, I think, well said on this. We'll get to that before we're done. There's also a bunch of weird stuff coming out of TCU and some weird stuff coming out of L.A. I don't mind telling you. This is really pretty bizarre stuff. So we will get to that coming up here in just a little bit, too. But for now, a great voice breaking it all down. TCU, formidable challenge. Georgia looking to bounce back in a weird way after beating Ohio State, I guess. Uh, We're going to call it a bounce back game coming up for Georgia. Either way, let's cover it all right now. It is Terrence Edwards here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Glad to have him and all of you on board with us here today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So I always love having Terrence Edwards on the show. We had a great time on Saturday night enjoying that win for Georgia against Ohio State and now looking ahead to uh, what's going to happen against TCU on Monday. But, Terrence, let me kind of start right there for a moment. It seems kind of weird. You know, Georgia beat the preseason number two team in the country. You know, before the year began, literally seemingly, except for our show, everybody thought Ohio State was better than Georgia. And all of a sudden now Georgia's beaten Ohio State, and there's some folks out there that seem to think Georgia needs to apologize for the way in which they got it done. Like, what do you make of the notion that Georgia goes into a TCU game on Monday, a national championship, in the eyes of some, with something to prove after the way they played, I use air quotes around something to prove, after the way they played against Ohio State. In one respect, I sort of like the extra edge for Georgia. On the other side, though, it is a little bit of a weird narrative, just given the fact that Georgia's 14-0. Right, right. I, I think, you know, uh, everyone thought that Ohio State was the best team at the beginning of the season, and rightfully so. Uh, they had the number one receiver uh, coming back, um, which he didn't play this this year. Now you have Marvin Harrison Jr. taking that mantle as the best receiver in the game. C.J. Smith is one of the is going to be one of the top quarterbacks taken in the draft. We coming back and you know we lost 15 guys to the draft. Stetson Bennett is our quarterback. No way he could do what he did without the defense. So there's a lot of narratives around you know this Georgia team that uh, that picked us not to be the best team and have and they had every reason to do so but man just sitting back thinking about this season ba this morning and 
what we're going to talk about today, man, this probably has been, you know, one of the, the greatest seasons in college football, especially when you lose 15 guys into the draft, breaking in a lot of new players. Uh, the narrative around Stetson that he cannot lead this team, the defense led the team, he was just there for the ride. So it was a, this has been a, 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 a memorable season that I'm going to remember for yeah. the rest of my life. I, I totally agree with you, Terrence. I think you're absolutely right about that. And when you, you look a little deeper at this Georgia defense for Monday, I mean, the one thing we would acknowledge is is that when Georgia has faced a lot of these really high-powered offenses like Ohio State was on Saturday, Ohio State found a way to get to 40. You know, Alabama in last year's national, I should say, SEC championship game found a way to get to 40. LSU in the 2019 SEC championship game, they got to 37, but they clearly were getting, you know, what they wanted kind of prior to that. You want to go all the way back to Oklahoma, maybe in the Rose Bowl of 2017. Once again, high-powered offense, scored plenty of points. I have said that, I think the best version of Georgia on Monday includes a final score point total nowhere near the kind of 60-plus that the experts are sort of expecting here. You know, TCU is averaging, what, more than 41 points per game this season. Do you think it's possible that Georgia can go against an offense like this that has scored points against virtually everybody? Do you think that Georgia can hold TCU to a low total, the kind of low 20s, high teens type performance that not only keeps the game well below the expected total, but also gives Georgia a chance to kind of coast in the second half the way we're used to seeing them do. They did do that to Tennessee earlier this year. They did that to Alabama in the national championship game a year ago. Can they do that again with TCU, though, on Monday? That's what we all would like, but I just think going into this game, this game is uh, just too high profile. This game is a national championship game, and there's going to be a lot of uh, peaks and valleys like the Ohio State game. Do I think it's going to be that of a nail-biter like that? I don't. But I do think this is going to be a very competitive football game. And I just warn the uh, Georgia fan base to, to not really jump to conclusions about this TCU team. I don't think anyone thought that TCU, TCU deserved to be in the top four. I did. I just don't think you can lose your conference game as an undefeated team and get knocked out when other teams didn't play. So I always thought that they should have been there. Uh, me personally, I've said this on the air, I would like to – face TCU in the first round and not Ohio State uh, because I didn't just I didn't see enough of TCU this year and I can honestly say that and I don't think a lot of people have either but I was very impressed with what I saw uh, from them the other night they scored in in multiple ways they have a big time running back in Miller who was a little deep in the game but he's a bowling ball at 220 they have a first round NFL wide receiver at 6'4 being around 215 that we see that can run so all hands is going to be full, and I just don't want everyone to expect that it's going to be a blowout. I expect a good game. I think we are the better team, and that will show later in the fourth. But I expect a, a good game, a hard-fought game, but I expect us to win, and not in a dramatic fashion like the past game, but win uh, – not going away, but just win this game handily in the fourth quarter. Tell me about Quentin Johnston, the uh, outstanding TCU uh, wide receiver. Like the f- one thing I noticed about him is the, obviously the size. Well, that's a t- that's a lot to deal with. But beyond that, I-, I know you love studying these guys that do it at such a high level. What do you like about Johnston, and what if you're a Georgia fan ought to give you pause about what he might be able to do for these Horn Frogs? Like like I just said, I haven't watched. This is my first time really watching okay. TCU play, and I was very impressed. So but what I did see from them and just listening to the commentators that 
this whole year, they are a vertical stretch team where they like to throw a Johnson the ball down down the field. They're standing at 6'4", 215 pounds. One of the most impressive things when he caught the shot across against Michigan and went almost 75 yards uh, just from a, a three-yard throw, and he took it the distance. So he has the, the long speed to get downfield. He has the breakaway ability to be such a big receiver, and he's been touted to be one of the top receivers in the country. So um, I'm looking for this matchup against our secondary. So it's going to be another solid test for the, the secondary. And uh, this could be Ringo's last yeah. game, and why not go against you know one of the top receivers in the draft to to just get the narrative around you away that you know I'm I want this this guy. I know Georgia defense does not travel, but every time you get an opportunity to uh, go against this type, you got this this guy. You got to be a little selfish and put some some clean tape out there for the NFL scout. So, uh, you know, it's a big test. Uh, Matt Duggan is a hard-nosed uh, quarterback that will run the ball, and he's not going to slide. He, he's going to take on all tacklers. And in red zone, they run him a lot. So it's going to be a game that we're going to have to, to stop. And, you know, everyone don't, don't does not run the three-three-five defense, yeah. what they do. Uh, we have had an opportunity to play a team. That runs to three three five with Arkansas and Ole Miss. Sure, uh, runs to three three five. So we do have some experience, but it's a hard defense for the offensive line. Everyone thinks because they only have six in the box um, that you know we should be able to run against them. But go watch the Texas game when Bay John Robinson, who's probably the best back in college football, did not have a great day running the ball against this this defense. Yeah, along those lines, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but I think you do see the 3-3 three, three stack a little bit more in high school. You're a high school coach, um, and I don't, you're obviously not going to give away your, your trade secrets here, but ha- have you seen that? Has your brother seen a, a lot of that? He's obviously a, a great coach back there, your alma mater at uh, Washington County. Like, you know, from, a, from just a simple standpoint, what's the key to attacking that based on your own experience as a coach? Yes, uh, just for myself, I've been at Pace Academy for six years, uh, love it. Love it runs okay. a version of the three three five stack. And, you know, going into a game plan, you always try to, you know, numbers in the box, numbers in the box. But it's it's really confusing for the offensive line. Um, who Who's the block? Zone, you would think zone blocking would be the, the the thing to go to because you're not blocking the man, you're blocking the zone. So I think Coach Monk and, and crew uh, will, will have a, a game plan ready because the last time we played against the three three five, I think it was Arkansas, uh, we put up a lot of points, and we didn't throw the ball very much. We was able to run the ball, and and uh, having you know Big O is going to be a big issue if for him if he's playing or not because he is that that unsung hero in the run game that's able to block linemen, linebackers, or the secondary. Yeah. Uh, he has the ability to block on all three phases. So uh, you're going to have to run the ball because you do have numbers, but the offense line really has to going to be disciplined. And who they're blocking it and identifying um, the man that they're going to the block in the run scheme. Yeah, Mississippi State kind of runs a version of that too. Although Kirby Smart has said this week it is a good bit different. A couple other things here, really quick. You mentioned Keely Ringo a moment ago, and obviously I know that Ringo's kind of been in the spotlight with some Georgia fans, and maybe for the wrong reasons, and maybe at times unfairly criticized. But one way or another. I got a little bit of a hunch here, Terrence, that Georgia may be really glad. It's got a big cornerback like Ringo. When you think about Johnston being, what, 6'4", about 215 pounds, it's a big wide receiver. You know, Georgia's recruiting profile for defensive backs, when they're recruiting kind of the two-way athlete now, if that's a small guy, you can pretty well be assumed they're going to try him as a slot receiver. 
and you know there's just sort of a, a kind of a height size requirement they seem to be pursuing for defensive backs right now the bigger corner like Ringo on on Monday we may be really glad that Georgia's got a guy that size if he's doing battle with a guy like Johnston because pretty clearly Johnston wants to use his size here oh most definitely you know um my first time you know seeing Keeley was uh his freshman year and the first thing that stands out is how big and how tall he is so this is going to be a, a really good matchup uh for him I think it, it may be a little bit more uh, easier matchup because uh Johnson is so big he's he's different as a receiver than some of these smaller receivers uh, because he can he takes him a lot longer to get in out of his break because his hips and he's so tall um, he's not as quick but he's straight line fast so it's gonna be a good test for both of these guys both of these guys have been mock draft to be first round picks so it's going to be a good matchup for these two Oh, uh, if you want to give a little bit more context here, ESPN's got him a uh, mock draft, like number 12 overall uh, in the uh, first round of the upcoming NFL draft to give you an idea of the kind of talent he brings to the table. Terrence, one of our uh, listeners or viewers the other day put this in the chat, and I thought this was a, a great point. I wish I could give credit to who it was. Do you think there's ever been a scout team quarterback more built and, and sort of made to be the guy that he's pretending to be when it comes to Gunnar Stockton in this particular case, trying to be like Max Duggan? I mean, a guy that – I mean, listen, one day Gunnar Stockton may be just as good a player as Duggan's proven to be this year, but in terms of giving you a Duggan-like look, doesn't it seem like uh, uh, Gunnar Stockton in a lot of ways just sort of made to do that? Right, he does, and that's who I come to him to after watching uh, Max Duggan the other day. I think uh, Gunnar – is a uh, very similar in skill set. Uh, Garner is um, only he six one, but he's 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 thick in his lower body. Um, he's a tough nose runner. He has a cannon of an arm. So if you had to have a quarterback to mimic uh, TCU's quarterback, we have the perfect guy already there. A la of Stetson Bennett doing with Baker Mayfield. So uh, you know if history repeats itself yeah. and. Garner could be just as good as as Matt Duggan as as Stetson has been just as good as Baker Mayfield, even though he didn't win the Heisman. He's doing something team-wise, having an opportunity to win back-to-back championships. There's not a lot of quarterbacks in college football that lay claim to that. And you know me, I've been the president of of Stetson Bennett's fan club for two years, and uh, he's going to be able to do something that a lot of other quarterbacks have not been able to do, and we won't be able to take that away from you. Terrence, great stuff. Thank you for being here today. We we'll look forward to having you as part of our Dog Nation post-game show coming up on Monday night there as well. Uh, your insight always so valuable as Georgia tries to go for 2-22 and 22 and win another national championship. So we appreciate that. Enjoy these last couple of days here and try to pass this time before the big game takes place, and we will look forward to talking to you again very soon. So before I go, B.A., when is John Stinchcomb coming on the show? Hey, he was on Monday, and I guess he'll be on he was, again on Monday as well, yes. So so I have to call him. What t- What is his time slot? He's uh, normally the same time you are, right around 1020, or, you know, maybe so 1030, because I'm usually running late. John just, John just called me right before the show, and okay. I told him that I was about to go on. He would not allow me to get off the phone. I was and I did not answer the phone. I almost <laughs> missed my, my call. So I have to get him back. I'm throwing him up on the bus, and I told him that I was about to go on, and he would not let me off the phone. I like it, Terrence. He, I, have to, I have to get him back and hold him on the phone when it's his time spot for Donald. I like that, Terrence. You, you get him back. Monday <laughs> will be your time to do that. Thanks, B.A. Look, look forward to you next week, and hopefully it will be 
and conversation us back to back. Boy, I love it, Terrence. That's great stuff. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. It is fun to think about. I mean, it's the kind of thing that is just really sort of unimaginable stuff. And, you know, you don't want to – it's almost like you don't want to contemplate it too much. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story. Then we got a, a thousand things we got to do. And I think I told this story on the air. So, last year when Georgia had its home finale against whoever that would have been, I forget who it would have been now, probably like Charleston Southern or something like that. It was kind of a weird team, I think, to play your last home game against, but I believe it was against Charleston Southern. Uh, one of my colleagues uh, in the press box sort of just sort of said to me in passing of, hey, I'll see you, you know, later, maybe even back here in January. And that was the first time I'd consider the idea, well, gosh, if Georgia wins the national championship, I guess there will be a parade, and I guess there will be some sort of celebration. I guess there will be some sort of, you know, I mean, that's just what you do when you win a championship. It seems so foreign to us because, I mean, as the rival fans had told us, we had not done that in such a long time. But that's what you do when you win a national championship. And it became this realization of, oh, my gosh, something very, very big might soon happen. And it seemed really scary to even speak that out loud because it almost seemed like you were, you know, just kind of celebrating something until it hadn't happened yet. But I remember how how sizable of an idea that first seemed to me. Well, here we are now, a year later, and all of a sudden, it doesn't quite seem so you know taboo to mention, hey, there may be another parade. There may be another celebration there. That all may go down because we just all experienced so much of that a year ago. You know, it could happen. It, it, it very well might happen. Again, it doesn't seem quite so taboo to, uh, to talk about it. But in, in one respect, there's also an additional level of significance around this because all of a sudden now you're not talking about just a national championship. You're talking about the heavyweight of a back-to-back national championship. And Connor Riley, is, I know our colleague at Dog Nation, has got a really good story coming up later on today at dognation.com that at least has to be considered. That while we have seen back-to-back national champions before, we haven't seen one in the playoff era, but we've seen one within the you know, last decade or so, Bama won in 2011, 2012. It is also fair to point out that we have seen instances for teams that after they won the national championship, coming back with a chance to do it again, and for whatever reason, it just didn't quite work out. And some of that was in the postseason, or some of that was a late loss in the regular season that prevented it from happening, because in almost every situation, and you can go back and test this yourself, a lot of you keep these old preseason magazines, things like that. In almost every situation in which a team has won the national championship, that team has been highly rated to begin the following year. In almost every situation, that's been the case. So in almost every sense, a national champion began the next year, took with it into the year some sort of aspiration of winning the national championship once again. That's just kind of the way that it works out. How commonly do you see in sports the team that was won it a year ago somehow picked to do it again the, the, the next year? We didn't see that with Georgia this year, but they were preseason number three, and that's you know, you just sort of see a little bit of a high ranking for the teams that have won national championships. So somehow, some way, what what had a chance to be, for whatever reason, just didn't quite materialize. And so Georgia has avoided this now for 14 games. Can they avoid it for just one more game? Can they find something within themselves for just one more game? We're going to talk more about this in a moment. But when you really, as Terrence kind of pointed out, when you really think about the weight, the consequence of the next football game we're going to watch Georgia play, Man, it is a lot to wrap your mind around. It really, really is. So we'll get back to that in a moment. For now, though, let me tell you, we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And boy, what a fun time it's going to be for us. My wife and kids were talking to me last night because once we get back, or I get back from L.A., once we're on the other side of that, well, all of a sudden my family getting very, very close 
to a family vacation cruise. And there's just something sort of about that. Listen, don't get me wrong. I love being with all of you on the Dog Nation cruise, and I had a great time with some of my uh, colleagues uh, a few days ago, and we took a little short getaway on Wonder of the Seas for kind of a special promotional type thing. I was so grateful that Royal Caribbean invited me to be a part of that. But there is something about that family cruise where after a long time of, you know, we're like our family's like everybody else. We've had so much going on. We've had so many, you know, you know, things happening in life. Some of it good, some of it not quite so good. All of it making us very busy. And we're not different from you. You feel the exact same way. That opportunity to kind of unplug and get away and say, hey, we got the greatest life in the world. But for this particular week, we want to kind of put that life beside us and just sort of enjoy just the, the, the fun, the entertainment, the food, the, the everything else that kind of comes along with a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Boy, I can't wait to do all of that. And I would invite you to do the same thing here in 2023 there as well. And I would invite you to be a part of that with us on our Dog Nation cruise too. So whether it's the Dog Nation cruise, the second ever cruise with Dog Nation coming up this April, or your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation with you and your family or friends, whatever else, uh, Jessica Slater, a great travel agent, can help you out that. You can give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also visit the website she's put together, royaldogs.com. Terrific website, royaldogs.com, that gives you all the details about our second-ever cruise with Dog Nation. Onboard Independence of the Seas, leaving out of uh, Port Canaveral, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, and having a great time with all that. Boy, I can't wait to see so many of you on board with us. Last year, turned into a national championship celebration. This year might turn into kind of the same thing. We watched the uh, NFL draft live the first round, the final night, big draft party. We may do all of that all over again. That is going to be a great time. All right, so let's – I call this cruiser on the SEC. This is really all just sort of national championship related, but this is just sort of the only place we could slide it into the show. So there are a couple of weird things going on here just for a moment. Um, Let me start with the tailgating thing. A lot of you have been kind of following this. So – the official report here is, and you can read more about this, AJC.com, um, uh, a lot of different places kind of covered this. The official report here is is that tailgating is banned from SoFi Stadium. What does that mean exactly? I still am not completely sure, to be honest, because I've had a lot of people sharing me all kinds of conflicting information on this. In fact, let me show you one photo that a dog fan sent to me that maybe calls some of this into dispute. Do we have this? Can we show this here for a second? So John Tisdale shared this with me. He says, for those concerned about no tailgating, this is from the Charger game at SoFi a few weeks back. He says, I think we'll be just fine. So listen, and if you're not watching the show, if you're listening to radio podcast, you see some tents, you see some flags, you see some folks walking around. It does look like a tailgate. Uh, I don't know if John was there for that, if he's reporting this back from from the live occurrence. Here's all I can tell you is it sounds like to me you're not going to roll up to the parking lot and throw up the tent and throw up the grill and just get right to doing it the same way you would certainly when the game was Atlanta this past weekend. Somehow, some way, it seems different than that. I think a lot of this is kind of pushing you towards those ticketed tailgates, which I don't have a problem with. And frankly, to be honest with you, Given the fact that, I mean, who's flying with their tailgate supplies anyway? Unless you're, you know, close enough to drive, most people are kind of flying out there anyway. So if you have a little bit more of the ticketed style tailgates where it's kind of the, you know, sort of antiseptic atmosphere, but at the same time, they got sort of one-stop shop, everything taken care of, then maybe that's what you need in a situation like this. I honestly don't know, but I will tell you this. You need to do some research on this because I've heard a thousand different things One way or another, it seems it is true that you're not just going to kind of plant your flag right there in the parking lot and get after it the same way you would do it, 
you know, you know, over on North Campus or something like that in Athens or, you know, wherever it is that you're kind of, you know, doing that uh, around the UGA campus. It seems like it's not going to quite be that, but there are, I guess, opportunities here. There's, it's one of those things you just need to kind of learn about. This is definitely going to be weird. It is a huge culture shock when a city like L.A. is hosting a, a game like this. And unlike the Rose Bowl, because my understanding is, having been in Pasadena and walking around before the game, you know, the Rose, you know Pasadena is a little bit not like California, at least the, the best that I can tell. Uh, Pasadena is just kind of a, a nice, you know, sort of, I don't know. It, it, to me, Pasadena was kind of far removed from the – the, the 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 LA proper that we sort of think of when we think of Los Angeles and I think most of the people outside the Rose Bowl were having normal regular tailgates I remember that day I parked in kind of a grass lot outside the stadium and most people were doing just sort of regular tailgate stuff so this is a good bit different I would say than what happened when George was out there for the Rose Bowl it might have been a little bit more similar to last year in Indianapolis but the truth is to use bad grammar intentionally, ain't nobody tailgating when it's one degree anyway. So uh, I don't really know what people did prior to the game against the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide in Indianapolis last year, but it sure shooting wasn't uh, tailgate because uh, because it was freezing cold. I mean, like like painfully cold outside prior to the game. So I think a lot of folks were indoors for that anyway. My understanding is there is not a lot of um, bar, restaurant, establishment type stuff out there around uh, SoFi Stadium. Once again, I can't confirm that to be true because – I've not been to this particular venue. This will be my first time going there. But have a good plan. Have a good plan. Because the cool thing about Indianapolis was everybody was just sort of walking around. I think once we got to Indianapolis, I don't think anybody drove the rest of the weekend. That's not the way that L.A. is going to be. It's going to be a bunch of Uber stuff. Or if you've got a rental car, you're going to be doing that. I know we're staying over near the airport. Obviously, getting to SoFi Stadium for there. The stuff downtown going to take a little bit more time to get to. If you're going to Hollywood or something like that, that's going to take a little bit of time there as well. So, have a good plan. Uh, you know, it's just going to be a little bit different type setup than the Rose Bowl was, certainly in Indianapolis was uh, last year. So make sure you have a good plan for all of that, whether it be on game day or the weekend getting together. But my guess is everywhere you turn, you're going to see UGA fans. So it may all turn into a giant tailgate party before it's all said and done. Also, there's this. Are you familiar with a guy named Mattress Mac? I guess Mac became famous a few years ago because he had done one of those sort of like mattress type deals. Uh, where, hey, if you Astros win the World Series, you get a free mattress or something along those lines. And as a way of offsetting his investment in that promotion, he started making some very big bets. And so since then, Mattress Mac has kind of become a very famous sports better because he's throwing down huge dollars on a lot of sporting events. And so our friends of the Action Network have reported, and I'll show this to you there as well, Mattress Mac, who's a you know Texan and lives, I think, in Houston, has put a big... $1.5 million bet on TCU to beat Georgia. Now, let me tell you something a lot of you already know. That just because you place a big bet does not make you a sharp better. In fact, if Mattress Mac was a sharp better, they wouldn't take $1.5 million from him on anything because there are a lot of people who are thought to be edge players who make much smaller bets than that who can't get their bets down from time to time because the casinos oftentimes don't accept wagers they think they might lose. So, Mattress Mac throws down $1.5 million on TCU here in this spot. I don't think that does anything to the point spread or does anything to your evaluation of how, you know, Georgia may win or lose this game. There are some very sports book friendly media outlets that will report on this kind of stuff um, because it just sort of creates a lot of buzz and attention for them. But ultimately, this isn't worth anything in terms of who's actually going to win this game. 
But you know what? I hate to be spiteful like this, but the idea that somebody who believes in the Horn Frogs this much being $1.5 million lighter on Monday at least kind of makes me want to chuckle here a little bit. Now, I guess Mac must be a very rich guy uh, that he feels like he can do all this, and he has won some of his bets, uh, I guess. Uh, he wouldn't keep doing it if he wasn't. So maybe that'll give you one more thing to laugh at once Georgia wins, Mattress Mac being a seven-figure sum of money uh, less rich when this is all said and done. And then one more thing here, and once again, speaking of our friends of the Action Network, Darren Rovell had this, and as I said before, this is another one of these sort of weird things that's sort of hard to figure out. So as you know, at a place like Georgia, when there's a big game like this, the demand for tickets within the allotment given to the school is so high I want to say the cutoff for the uh, Peach Bowl, for instance, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 points. That's an astronomical figure. Uh, you're talking about Mattress Mac type people at Georgia who've, who've contributed enough to kind of create that kind of point total and that kind of, uh, you know, sort of relationship with the, with the Athletic Association. that They're getting those kind of tickets. And obviously the national championship cut off really high and something like that, too. So what Darren Ravel had reported was is that TCU had not sold its full allotment of tickets. And they were only given, I think, 5,000, which is another thing that kind of frustrates you know, some Georgia fans, too, is how few official tickets were given to the Athletic Association by Peach Bowl or now CFP National Championship game. So of the original allotment of 5,000, Darren Ravel had reported a couple of days ago that TCU didn't sell out its allotment. Well, TCU has come back and said now, oh, yes, we did. We sold all of our tickets. And so I guess what the dispute here is, if you look at the, like, the Twitter replies, which is always kind of a risky proposition, but if you look at the Twitter replies, I guess what the dispute here is is that Rovell had reported this prior to the college football playoff when, I mean, let's face it, you know, Georgia's allotment for whatever game would have you know, been scarfed up six years ago. So you know, I guess prior to the, the Fiesta Bowl, TCU had not sold its allotment of tickets. Maybe they were thinking they weren't going to win the game, but it's also the issue I think we're kind of getting to here. This is a just a much smaller fan base that that you didn't have the built-in demand at prior to TCU winning the Fiesta Bowl of them selling all 5,000 of their tickets. And what some folks are saying now is, is that eventually TCU was just sort of selling these to anybody. It wasn't the well-established donors. It wasn't the people who had accrued extra value because of what they'd given the Athletic Association. They were just blasting out emails, basically just sort of selling them to anybody. And that's probably one of the reasons why the get-in price for this game has actually gone dramatically down. Now, the airfare to get to Los Angeles is astronomical, and that's a prohibitive cost for many, many people. But if you could find a way to get to Los Angeles, the price to get in the stadium is actually going down. We predicted it would because, you know, listen, TCU is a good team, but it's just not a very big fan base. It does not have nearly the following that a Michigan would have in this spot or an Ohio State would have if they were the opponent for Georgia in the national championship. You just don't have nearly the same level of following. So the point here is you've had TCU fans kind of going back and forth with Ravel about how many of the tickets they actually sold. But one way or another – I think you have an indication that you may not see tons of TCU fans in Los Angeles, that the opportunity maybe exists for this go for two and 22 day for Georgia to maybe take over the stadium. If, if fans from Georgia can find a way to get there, they may have a chance to take over that stadium. We'll make this cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right, I want to get back to the Georgia Bulldogs here for a moment. And it's Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. I told you earlier that Stetson Bennett had some really interesting things to say the other day when he met with the media. And one of the questions our buddy Chip Towers kind of asked him was, hey, do you realize where you're kind of getting to in terms of the historical category here, George, both from a numeric standpoint and also just sort of a perception standpoint? Do you sort of realize where you're getting on that? 
Uh, how much of that are you aware of? Chip kind of asked Stetson. I thought that Stetson gave a pretty thoughtful answer. Let me let you hear Stetson on this, and i got a couple thoughts on that. Uh, take a listen to Stetson earlier this week. Uh, I, I'd say I'm as updated as I want to be. Um, and uh, no, no, not yet, Chip. Um, you know, we've we still got a season, and, um, you know, um, we've still got one more game left, and uh, all that stuff will will still be there after that. Um, you know, if if I do want to look at it eventually, um, but now's not the time. I think that Stetson Bennett's words are very wise, and not just for him, but for all of us. And I've I've said this week that after what happened in the uh, the the Peach Bowl, it is now completely undisputed that Bennett is a historic figure in the Georgia program, and. You can determine for yourself what that historic definition is. Is he the greatest quarterback of all time? Is he the second best player of all time because of the importance of the quarterback position? You know, for me, I'm going to tell you that that Herschel Walker is forever unquestioned the best player in program history. I don't, I don't, I don't think anything that's happening right now nudges Walker off his perch as best player in program history. But one way or another. Maybe Bennett belongs on kind of like sort of the Mount Rushmore idea of what goes next to him there on that. Whatever the historic definition is, it's a conversation we do need to have, and I think eventually we will. But I believe that Bennett is right when he says, no need to have that right now, and maybe I won't even participate that. Bennett himself saying, hey, that may be something for other people to have about me. I may not need to participate in that. But what makes the question interesting for Bennett is he's clearly a student of UJ history. He knows the history of this program pretty well because he grew up rooting for the team. So his insight into his own place in Georgia history probably is a little more poignant than what maybe someone else might be because he's actually followed the history of this program for such a long time. But beyond that, I think what Bennett says there is also really important for all of us from the standpoint of, hey, there is a lot being said right now that can probably just sort of wait, right? I mean, I hear a lot of Georgia fans say, because we do go for two and 22, I hear a lot of Georgia fans say, what about go for three and 23 or go for four and 24? What about the idea that Georgia may even be better next year than they are this year? What about the idea that, you know, Georgia may just blast TCU win the game by 100 points or whatever it is that kind of comes up? Listen, all of that might end up being true, right? Georgia really might be. I mean, obviously, I've you know kind of done some of the math on this. I see what Georgia has the potential to have uh, next season. Uh, they're not without questions, but, boy, they could be really good. All of that is potentially true. But as Bennett says, can we just wait for a minute? Can we just play one more game and then figure out you know what the place of this team in history is? Can we actually put the punctuation on the sentence before we get to anything like that? Can we actually get to that point before we worry about that? I think that Bennett's right. Listen, this is a game on Monday night in which Georgia's favored. I mean, I do feel like the Georgia sets up pretty well for the game against TCU. I don't just like the talent edge for Georgia. I kind of like the matchup as well. I, I think it sets up really well for Georgia. But at the same time, I also just want to see it play out. I want to have the satisfaction of seeing Georgia finish all of this off. And then after that, we can talk about the history. We can talk about the the, the, the what comes next. We can talk about the, the potential building of a dynasty or an empire or whatever we want to say around all of that. We can do all of that then. But as Stetson Bennett says, can we focus on just one more game before we get there? I think the Bennett's words are probably pretty wise. Also, quick shout-out before we say goodbye to you here today. Obviously, uh, we're looking forward to watching the home team way far away from home 
coming up on uh, Monday. We have a really good time with all of that. And by the way, speaking of the home team, that's what our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau are there as well. They're always the home team. What that means is, is they've got agents and claims adjusters, friendly folks right here in our state, communities just like yours, all across the state of Georgia, taking care of you when it comes to your insurance needs. They understand, hey, that auto insurance you have, that's the thing that protects your vehicle that gets you to work each and every day. That home insurance you have, uh, that's the thing that keeps a roof over your head and the place where you create your great memories with your family, but also maybe your most important investment there as well. Our folks at Georgia Farm Bureau, Georgians just like you, they understand all of that, and that's why they want to step up and provide you more than just an insurance experience. So you can find them online at gfbinsurance.com. That website, once again, gfbinsurance.com. I can tell you this, they are very, very excited about Monday. They've been with us the entire ride here on Go for two and 22 i think they also think that georgia finishes it off on monday there as well so big shout out to them our friends at georgia farm bureau find them online gfbinsurance.com all right so tomorrow we will do a big friday shoes dump to get you ready for the game on monday kind of that good vibes thing we like to create around here we'll do that from a pre-recorded fashion because i'm gonna be in the air during our normal broadcast window but for now one good fun golden shoe to give to you here before we wrap up today's show our buddy james lawson who's gotten golden shoes before <laughs> i think this is really funny he puts on twitter if you see this it's too late and what it is it's starting with baker mayfield in 2017 hands on the uh, knees head bowed in disappointment you got brian kelly there and then you got ryan day doing the same thing uh, on uh, Saturday night, you could have put uh, Bryce Young in that category, too, after he threw the interception to Keeley Ringo last year. That's good stuff from James Lawson. That is a golden shoe there as well. All right, y'all, we're getting close. Los Angeles going to be here before you know it. Getting ready for it. Can't wait. By the way, also Gator Hater Countdown. Lousy, stinking Gators don't know anything about that. 296 days from now, Georgia will beat them. But there is business to be taken care of prior to that. We will see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Go for 2-22, and 22, everybody.